Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Pink. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the Netflix show, The Fall of the House of Usher. This week we are covering episode five. That's right, the dreaded, loved, whatever, Flanagan episode five. Uh, this time of The Fall of the House of Usher, titled The Telltale Heart. Which, I mean, obviously is one we have been looking forward to this entire time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and. What is it about episode five of Mike Flanagan's shows? They're always, for some reason, if you look back, I'm like, they are always just like some of the most intense. Like I know episode five, without spoiling anything, so we go to uh, to Bly Manor, mm-hmm. talk about Tania Miller again. She's got another episode five moment. But yeah, they just seem to always be like some of the most like intense and heavy or like come with like a huge twist or always. There's just something that I don't know what it is, but his episode fives are usually the ones that, you know, something big's going down, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And you'd think that after all this time um, and the emotional impact that it normally has on us every time that I would have had that in my mind when I watched the episode. But yeah, (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. It didn't even occur to me. Oh, episode five. Oh, (laughs) this is going to be an emotional uh, ringer here. And and you're going to. You're just not going to know how to deal. So, was not prepared at all. Uh, very intense episode this yeah. week. I know we're going to talk about it, but what what are your initial thoughts or feelings? Did you like this week's episode? I loved this episode. It <laughs> is, again, because, yeah, it was dark. It was heavy. It was intense. But, like, I mean, again, Telltale Heart being the iconic thing that is because i mean i know there's a lot of stories in here that even i'm not very familiar with when it comes to the world of poe but i feel like most everyone if they have any grasp of poe at all understands and knows the telltale heart and so going into this episode like immediately in this episode which we'll talk i mean i'm going into discussion a little bit but i mean (laughs) why not i mean when the episode starts with just that like clicking ticking sound and then you like very early on you realize what that is you know what you're in for, and you're like, oh, here we go. This is it. Like, I know what's happening, and I am still not ready for this ride. <laughs> yeah, that I thought that was a beautiful touch w- with the opening of the the, the clicking, squishy sound, mm-hmm. just yeah. disturbing sound. I think I it took me a while to get that out of my head, but yeah, it was a, a great great way to open it and. This you're right. You know, I I also loved this this week's episode. It well, and I know we're going to talk about all the details, so I don't want to go too far into it. But you know, it it was one that definitely you know I'm glad I think for the additional time because as we talked about last week, I had some travel this week, so we're recording a, a few uh, days later than what we mm-hmm. normally do. So again, uh, appreciate everyone's patience, but I'm glad for a little bit of the extra time to kind of sit with it a, mm-hmm. a little because I'm like gosh I I don't know that I could talk about this one as you know as, as you know any sooner than what we are tonight right because it, yeah. it it hits <laughs> yeah even after watching it the first time which was 
the night we recorded last week, like after recording episode four, I immediately mm-hmm. watched it that, that that night. But even then, like I was like laying in bed watching it on my phone and it ends. And I was just like, I had that same thought. I was like, oh, thank God I've got an extra two days to sit on this <laughs> one. Cause like, that's a lot. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I, I feel like with what we've already seen in the first four episodes, it's, it's been dark, it's been gory, but something about this, this episode. And again, maybe it's Tania Miller, her performance. Uh, amazing as always. She's mm-hmm. such a, a, you know, wonderful actress. Um, so, well, let's talk about it. What is your yeah. first point of the night? All right. So I'm going to start real small, real, because honestly, I only have two major points for this one. So, you know, like there's just two big stories that I really wanted to touch on. So mm-hmm. other than that, I was like, well, the first like two points that I'm going to have, I'm just going to touch on like early scenes that maybe you don't have a lot of thought about. Maybe you do. I don't know. But, uh... <laughs> But just kind of two little scenes that are pretty early on in the episode. So the first one uh, is the funeral itself. Um, I remember last week, you know, Leo was so worried about whether he would have to attend a joint funeral or if he'd have to attend two separate funerals and which one was worse. Uh, Well, we got our answer. It's one joint funeral. uh, But the worst part for him is that now he's included as the third deceased the third coffin so i don't think he was oh, expecting that one uh, good callback <laughs> yeah. good callback oh gosh mm-hmm. uh so it's just this it's a it's a small scene but there was a lot packed into it mm-hmm. we're seeing already just like this obsession and workaholic kind of thing that tammy is so i was like man she's texting at the funeral which i don't know what might be more offensive is that she still has the typing clicks turned on on her phone like who does that what kind of psychopath um oh yeah (laughs) you hear it it was like i mean your texting is one thing but why have you not turned that off yet who are you noise off if you're Um, one of the if you're a constant texter turn off your keyboard sounds it's oh my god (laughs) um yeah, and then, of course, we see Roderick seeing these grotesque ghosts of his children at their funeral, which, yeah, obviously, at this point, we've gotten accustomed to that. We know that he's seeing that. But then again, up in that upper area, we see this, like, jester-type character that we've only seen once before, I think, in the first episode when he opens that car door. And I still really want to know what's up with that. I don't have much of a note past that other than, like, you know, what's the deal with jester? But that's what I'm worried Like, I'm just like, I, I don't know. And I want to know. And we only have two episodes left, so you or three, so you better give it to me. I need it. <laughs> I know. Gotta gotta find that out. We're clock is ticking. Like I said, three mm-hmm. episodes to go. Uh, I loved the little kind of almost you could miss it kind of scene of Arthur coaching Julius, Leo's uh, boyfriend, on how he's supposed to respond to any questions or the media or anything. This is a very difficult moment for me. Please respect my privacy at this time. He's like, good, you got it. <laughs> it's just those <laughs> little things, again, was showing with Pim. Uh, and then, of course, the last note that I had a little bit on that is just the mothers of the three deceased kids are there in attendance. And Roderick just ignores them. Like, it just, mm-hmm. again, shows that kind of coldness that he, that what's become. is like he looks at them for a second, but then only to to grab Juno and it's time to get out of here and then just walks away without a word a second glance and they look really disgusted with him like he's definitely 
they probably have no connection. Like it makes me feel, and there's not really anything to back this up, but it was like, you know, his open gate policy with the kids probably do not extend to the mothers. They probably get no financial compensation. They get nothing. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case where he's like, well, it's my kid, but I don't have any connection to you. You know, like I could see just the way that they look at him with such disdain and disgust, especially the one that I assume is Camille's mother. Uh, but yeah, it was just <laughs> a little interesting thing, the way that they like looked at him with such hatred and then he didn't have time to say a word to them or anything. So it's, I'm, I'm putting little pieces in my head together. I was like, I don't know the full picture, but I can assume that like, he's probably been horrible to them ever since whatever. Uh, yeah. I'm curious there. I don't know if we'll get more in into that but it was interesting to see um the moms i guess mm-hmm. if you will yeah that funeral um the first first trio cuz yeah. it started with what the last three mhm so oof i like it um i want to start with uh something i touched on what was it was it after or or when we talked about perry's um episode and that was a little bit about the color mm-hmm. a use of color for each yeah. of the siblings i i haven't talked about it uh much so i want to kind of touch on it here um with victorine's episode and also talk a little bit about leo as well and i don't know that i called out camille i i had what i thought as as a what i thought a theory about hers a little bit but yeah. let's talk about victorine so she's I, I i think with this order that we're going in with each of each of these kids she's the third child and she's also an illegitimate child of roderick and she's a scientist We've seen uh, her experiments on the chimps and how it seems to be a little unethical, if you will. <laughs> Just a smidge, uh, a tiny little yeah, bit. A <laughs> little bit unethical. And if you notice, she's often uh, wearing different hues of like orange. Mm-hmm. And in her office, she has orange bookcases. Yep. She. It, well, and I, th- looking up about like the color orange, it seems to like represent uh, a determination. And I think in this case for uh, Victorine, you know, she's been determined for m- most of the episodes that we've seen her in to get the approval for human trials for her medical device. Yeah. She is determined to find a person for those human trials. Um, And then I think also orange can symbolize pride and arrogance, which I think are big traits that Victorine um, has as well. Oh yeah. So, and then we kind of see, I feel like there's a little bit, it's during one of the scenes in her office, and I w- I'm not going to go too far into the scenes because I feel like we probably have some notes or other points about that. So I'm just going to call them out in just in general in generalities. Uh, but the scene in the off in her office with uh, Verna, or mm-hmm. she's not 
Verna at that time. She's playing another character, but we know her as Verna. And you see Victorine kind of shift into this, her odd, like, paranoia state, and the light changes. It looks orange-ish. This this the orange, yeah, it kind of, and I have notes about this for sure in a later thing, but I'll talk about them, is, yeah, the orange kind of symbolizes this derangement like this like decline in mental state and this Mm -hmm. to where as this sound is happening and verna is you know pamela (laughs) is starting to say some really weird things and it's you see her kind of just her mental state really declining and it starts really subtle like you said like the walls on the bookcase being orange as that's where she's standing but then the hue of the room gets more and more orange you get this orange glow on the actress's skin or especially mm-hmm. Verna, and then like it just gets darker and darker and darker, and then whenever she kind of snaps back to reality, the lights come back on. And then, of course, later on in the episode near the end, we see that dark, dark orange again when she's really... Like, the more that she's in that decline, the darker orange it gets, and I thought it was a really cool touch. Uh, agreed. And and then we see, we see it again, that change in lighting mm-hmm. uh, in her home later, yeah. which I know we're going to talk about <laughs> in more detail. But I, I think that kind of lends to, in this episode anyway, the use of color and one color in particular for this sibling. Um, for Leo, I, I think we had a yellow as Leo's color. Mm-hmm. So Leo, he lied to his partner. He wasn't faithful in his relationship. Uh, and I, from what I'm reading, yellow can symbolize dishonesty, which ties into how he yeah. cheats on his partner. He, uh, you know, we see him hiding that girl on the balcony whenever he comes home. And when Verna, it's it's weird, it's very subtle, but when Verna comes to Leo's apartment to um, confront Leo, there's a little bit of a, did you notice it, like a little bit of a sepia tone? I don't know. Uh, to the to the apartment, it was it was weird. It felt it felt like it kind of illuminated yeah. all of his lies. I don't know. The major yellow connection I think of when you mention Leo is just like beginning and end, bookending again. The episode is showing his like Lamborghini or whatever outside was a very yellow oh, car. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, the yeah, that was very unfortunate. As he's lying there on um, the on the pavement, <laughs> there's his yellow car uh, right there behind him. Yeah, so th- that's my th- you know going along with my idea about the colors and Camille who. I mentioned, I think I'd mentioned before that I think hers is white. I don't know how, I can't remember how, how much I talked about hers, but, you know, her her hair is white, Her a lot of her clothes were white, and that to me felt like it represented her uh, sterile nature. Yeah, well, even her, like, apartment was very white. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's because she she seemed very detached, like she had a very transactional type relationship with her assistants. She didn't quite have the connection with her family. 
you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, real meaningful, her, her life. I mean, it should have been a great life. I mean, she was born into this, like, an amazingly privileged family and yeah. would have had all kinds of doors opened up for her, but her life felt colorless. And that, that I think, is what's behind the white color for Camille. And I think, again, plays into a little bit of um, my theories about the color use of color anyway for each of the siblings. I don't really know if that means anything in the end, if you know what other colors for the other uh, siblings I haven't watched ahead or anything like that, or what it means, or if it's just a nice way to kind of tell a story with the use of color, you know, Mike Flanagan likes his themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could just be another one of them, but I, I find it interesting. I, I like the play on that and I like the themes yeah. uh, and the use of these kinds of themes. Um, you know, much like music can be used or other things. So I think it's nice to give that call out. And I hadn't talked about it in a couple of episodes. So I wanted to kind of bring it back because it was really interesting the way that they used it. Like you said, the how the, the hue changes um, on Victorine and a couple of these scenes. It's a really nice way to see that shift, like you yeah. said, with her shift in what's going on with her mentally anyway. Yeah. So and I'm going to make like a weird prediction just because it's in my head. Now, Perry, oh, was nice. definitely a, oh, Perry was definitely a red, red kind of thing. For but, sure. Yeah. But because again, I promise I've not like Dorema said, I've not watched ahead. <laughs> I've not seen these others, but we know like we have Tammy and Freddie as like the next two episodes going to be mm-hmm. kind of theirs. And I'm going to make a prediction looking on colors, just kind of what we've seen on them. I'm going to say Tammy's probably a green. Oh, okay. Green, Envy, things like that. Uh, Ooh. And then I feel like I want to go with a blue for Freddy. Okay. Well. That's that's just we'll, kind of gut feelings, thoughts we'll about kind of their, their characters and kind of what we've seen so far. I feel like that could be, yeah. You might be right. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't looked beyond. Mm-hmm. But I'll have to look at least for the next episode and yeah. see see which one that that one's about. Interesting. I like it. Yeah, it, it may not mean much of anything, but I do. I think it's nice as a storytelling device. Anyway, mm-hmm. what's your next point? All right. So the next little scene that I want to talk about again, quick one. Uh, but the uh, surviving Usher siblings, the who's left. <laughs> sitting at, at, at their little private get together conversation at the bar. Uh, mm-hmm. Just again, just very short, very small scene, but a lot packed into it in like subtext. Uh, we see that the children that are surviving here are now under like 24 7 security detail, which still doesn't do much good in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Other than just infuriate them, they're tired. They. But, you know, all they have to do is say, oh, no, don't pay attention to me. And they're, they're not really great at uh, what they're supposed to do. Of course, they're not expecting what's going on from the inside, right? Uh, but, you know, we see that Roderick and Madeline are really feeling like these are deliberate attacks somehow. I'll talk more about that later as far as more to figure <laughs> out. But uh, so, yeah, they've put this security detail on the kids. Um, so that's where we get introduced to that is while they're at the bar. And then I again talking about Victor, uh, Victorine because this kind of ties in. I like that you talk about like the determination of Orange because I think another big thing that her determination was that she was very very determined to be seen and accepted on an equal level of her two older siblings. Mm. That yeah, 
she's the only one that wasn't Annabelle's daughter, like in that's that's left here. But she still felt like because she was talking about the littles, the the other ones, and then remember when they came and all this. But but we are the OGs, even though she also is, yeah. Uh, but she seems very determined to be on that same level of acceptance from Roderick and even from them. Uh, the way she talks, you know, about that, she's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> and then us three versus those three. Like, she's very set in that, even though we see clearly uh, Tammy doesn't see her in that light. Uh, very much still a bastard in Tammy's eyes, especially. Uh, getting sick as Frederick and Tammy are the only children of Annabelle, as we see in those flashbacks. Right. Uh, which again was the only woman that Roderick actually married, other than now Juno, but we don't talk about that, don't you dare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Juno. <laughs> we don't talk about Juno, no, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. And then that whole conversation about them talking about the younger siblings that have passed, which yeah, fill his dad hole is not a pleasing phrase at all. Uh, I'm kind of with Freddie with him. I don't know why he needs to keep repeating it. You're not going to make it any better. It's just, you're not going to make dad hole happen, Tammy. Stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, in a totally shocking and in no way completely expected turn of events, this little sibling get together has devolved into personal jabs between Vic and Tammy. Go figure, right? Just wild. Uh, to where she kind of storms off mad at them, ending with the line of Froderick and Madeline, which I don't know if that's the best. Maybe <laughs> maybe workshop that one more, but I don't know. Maybe it's the best you can get out of that one. I, I don't have anything better. I thought about it. I was like, eh, I don't know if there's another name mix you can do. Froderick is just perfect. That's incredible. But That one is pretty good. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if you can do better than Madeline. I don't know. It just doesn't roll off the same way, but you know. She tried. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Just again, just quick look because I've got like two big storylines. Of course, I'll talk about next. But but I was like, I need more points than just two. So I was like, let me pick out some like early on little scenes that I feel held a lot of weight, even though they were really short. Well, no worries. I I feel like a lot of what I have are a couple of big ones and then a bunch of little ones too. Mm-hmm. But I think it's gonna. I hope anyway, prompt some good conversation uh, because it's more of, I, I just want to kind of talk about it. I don't know that I have any insight or if anyone uh, that is listening to us has a need for a whole lot of answers. I don't know if I got any, but I just have this need to like, just talk about right. <laughs> some of this stuff. Maybe we'll figure out things along the way <laughs> if we're lucky. I don't know. Uh, you mentioned this scene of the three remaining siblings there at the bar. and. Just really great quotes this episode, and one of them at when Victorine leaves, and Tammy says, "Do you think the fifty million is still on the or the fifty mil still on the table?" And <laughs> Frederick goes, "Probably not, not with all the dead people and stuff." Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Oh, just you know, so morbid, but also right. just tickled me. I definitely laughed at that one. And oh yeah. It was, I think, you know, I don't do it justice. The delivery from our BFF, Henry Thomas. Yeah. I think really uh, nailed nailed that. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really good. Yeah. He is good. Um, 
let's see, I don't have mine in any particular order, so I'm just going to jump in before I get into any really big ones. want to kind of talk about uh, a few of my smaller. These are probably more almost notes than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're getting a little bit more with Maury in the hospital and this urgency that um, F- Freddie has to get her home. She's playing this, oh, sorry, it's not a game, but she's using her eyes to blink because she's not really able to move and the poor woman is just bandaged head to toe mm-hmm. with her injuries. And she's blinking and it looks like she's blinking twice for yes. When he comes over and he's like, you know, oh, aren't you excited to get come home? I'm going to have you home soon. Isn't that going to be great? Her reaction doesn't seem very enthusiastic. Is that what yeah. you're picking up from that? I, yeah, I, I kind of made note of that as well. I'm like, she's okay. Yeah, I don't think. Which again, talk about dark humor because like the fact that this Maury storyline is somehow the comedic aspect. Only, <laughs> only Flanagan. Uh, yes, but yeah, again, poor woman, completely uh, <laughs> burned and and uh, absolutely horrible type conditions and suffering, yeah. probably beyond belief. And we're <laughs> we're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> But again, this is a delivery from our best friend in the world, Henry Thomas. You know, the she's not a magic eight ball, honey. Uh, just <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> laugh, but it was so funny. Um, but yeah, but no, I made that note of them setting that up with the uh, Lenore asking these yes or no questions, and then it leading to like, aren't you ready to go home? And she's just like this kind of like kind of somber, like one little blink, like oh god. <laughs> and I don't know if that has more to do with. She's not wanting to deal with being confronted, maybe about, hey, how'd you end up this way? I don't know. Like, she's not going to be as protected, maybe, from, you know, the doctors and such. It seems like he's maybe going to grill her a little bit about what were you doing at this party, about the burner phone. I don't know. They didn't seem to have like a I didn't pick up any way on it um, anyway in the earlier episodes that they had like a bad relationship or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, something must have been going on, however, for her to be able to like leave the house like she was dishonest about, you know, uh, where she was going and who she was going to be with that night. Not that she deserved or anything what happened to her, but that is a fact. Right. She did lie about where she was going. So it's interesting to know, like, was there a crack in their relationship or something that you know led her to to do that and is she concerned about being confronted or something mm -hmm. it's just interesting you know uh what what has her so frightened is she just worried about being the confrontation of how did why are you at the party and what's up with this burner phone kind of questioning yeah i feel i feel like the relationship was really good as far as what we saw but there was this there's hints of it in this episode but then even then, there's kind of tinges that, like, Freddie has this tendency. I don't know. I wouldn't say, like, violent or abusive. I don't know. But he does have this tendency to be pretty intense mm-hmm. at some point. So, like, hyper-focusing on things. Because um, it does make me think back to episode two when Perry is inviting her to this this party. And, you know, he's, you know, going off on the whole Froderick and your dickbag husband and all this. You know, <laughs> and But we see the way she responds is not out of, like, don't talk about him that way. But she's like... Well, I'm, you know, married to him and you're his brother. You know how he is. Like, there was this very kind of understanding between them. She was like, yes, I know, but that's just how he is. And we just accept that. We, we, like, 
so you can tell that she does see this like intensity and kind of controlling thing that he has. Mm-hmm. So that could play a part in why, yeah, she doesn't want to be questioned about that night because we see him even in this episode. We saw that whole run with the phone in an earlier episode with him, and now he's still like very intense about it. He's still hung up on it. There's that scene where he's talking to Lenore about the dangers of being an usher and the importance mm-hmm. of listening to Pim. But then he ends that little talk with this bit about, you know, don't trust anybody, never trust anybody, especially remember your mother. And he's very, you know, laying it on thick. This fact, she looked us in the face and she lied to us and look at what she did. And you can see he's like seething on the inside. Like he's still very hung up on this and very mm-hmm. mad about it. And then that last bit when Lenore's walking out of the room and he just says, we've almost got her. Like, it's almost foreboding. You're like, what does that mean? What are you? Thank you for bringing that up. The hell does that mean? And was he talking to himself? Right. You know, was he, did he like mean to say that out loud? (laughs) I'm like, dude, sometimes you should squelch your intrusive thoughts. (laughs) That one. You probably shouldn't speak out loud. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a little disturbing. And I, I feel like, or I wonder anyway, if, because yeah, he does seem to have this like need for control and it's coming out in, in these other ways. And I, I wonder if that has to do with because he has such a powerful father and mm-hmm. he probably doesn't have as much control as maybe what he thinks he does or as much power as what he thinks he does because he's still under his father and Madeline's and, and through them, Pim's thumb you know he so he's he's always being told what to do how to do it his father reprimanding him like he's still a child after mm-hmm. uh maury was discovered after after the death of perry and she was discovered and in the hospital and he's like why the hell didn't you you know do as i told you to and he is like all up in his face and roughing him up and so he's i, I think he's got a complex around that uh that you know he he's the eldest child he seems to not a hundred percent, probably, you know, growing into taking control of the company, but it still seems very much run by his father and by Madeline, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I, I wonder if, if this lack of control that he has in his family life, his business life, is kind of coming out in his personal life, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's why uh, the intensity and this controlling nature, um, because he's he has the lack of it. I wonder. Yeah. Which is why we see he's so adamant that we're taking her home. We're bringing her, whether it's mm-hmm. to question her and grill her, you know, which grill, such a bad word for the birds. Oh, um, shit. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, she's been grilled plenty. Um, but no, uh, but yeah, but so there's part of it. But also, yeah, just this control of like, why do I want to leave everything in the hands of these doctors and everything when I have the control, I have the power. Let me bring her home. Let me build, you know, this place for her. and. I don't like he he has this fear of leaving it in other people's hands. Uh you know, he's not encouraged by the doctor to do this. Say it's too early. She still needs a lot of intensive care here and he's dead set on, you know, he's pulling that don't you know who I am? You know how much money I am. You know like Leo was where he's like, mm-hmm. I I can handle it. I'm not a civilian as he says. Uh which, you know, is this power thing. But there is the flip side of it. I'm also like I also can understand a little bit where he's coming from cuz Hospitals in general, I guess even the super private luxury hospital suites, are incredibly depressing and anxiety fueling. Like you do want to get out of that situation the, the quickest you can. I get that, mm-hmm. but 
but it's definitely playing into that control thing that he has as well. Yeah, for sure. So I just thought that was an interesting reaction. I thought, like you mentioned, his conversation with Lenore when they were at home. I was like, what the hell is that about? What did he mean? I really think, and I'm I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, the other siblings as well, but I'm I'm really starting to think, especially now that Verna, we've seen Verna kind of uh, impose herself on the lives of all of the siblings, and we've seen in other episodes the way she's kind of introduced herself, not really uh, introduced herself, but gotten her, weaseled her way into uh, the lives of the other siblings. And I really think maybe that's playing a part too. I wonder if that's making Freddie like more intense or more controlling or with Tammy and her not sleeping and her reaction in this episode to her husband, has it intensified that in any way? Uh, I I don't know, but I I, I feel like she's. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I didn't want to cut you off. Sorry, but yeah, you're fine. Have we seen Verna interact with Freddie at all? I don't think so. Oh, wait, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking more Victorine. Yeah, because I think he's really the only one now that hasn't had any connection. Well, that's to her true. Personally. So then that blows my theory out of the water. Then because that's right, we haven't seen Verna interact yet with Freddie. There was so much in this episode that it was hard to keep. I just kept like jotting all yeah. of these notes. But yeah, you're right. You're right. I take but yeah, that but back. But with I that guess track that- record she has, I could see. I mean, obviously we know based off the first episode, like. We're getting an episode with the death of, of Frederick, so I I assume that she will play a part in that, and I could definitely see her being part of that, doing just that, and really exacerbating the the things that already kind of, you know, his faults that he already has. Like, she's done with everyone else. Yeah, because it, I mean, that seems to be the trend so far, is, mm-hmm. I mean, Leo just went off the rails about the cat. Mm. Uh, And maybe he, I I think he already had some of that in him, but I think that her presence exacerbated it. I think the same with Victorine. Um, And I think I'm seeing it in Tammy. It, It seems like when she comes into their lives in some way, then they start to spin out of control. Things just start to like, go out of control for them but yeah okay but maybe the, i yeah you're right that hasn't happened with with freddie yet which is interesting because she really inserted herself and in all the other siblings already yeah. like in one episode it was like boom 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 and it was like oh wow it's not even just like focused on one sibling she's already yeah you know m- kind of infiltrated a little in the other uh siblings lives so okay well yeah. I take that back. Maybe I'm wrong. The ones that have taken a more of a mental break to get them to that point, she's had to get in a little early and start sowing those seeds. Maybe we're going to get a, maybe seeing how he acted, Freddie, I mean, acted this episode is going to be a little insight that it's just going to get worse. Because, mm. I mean, it has to happen, right? Eventually she's going to, she's going to make an appearance in his life. Yeah. Some, and so we don't know how or anything like that. But, it's going to happen. I feel we. That, I don't think that's a spoiler to say because it seems to be. We we know what ha- we know what happens to all the kids. Yeah, we don't know the details, but we know that they all die. And I think it will definitely play off of his, you know, obsessive personality and his control. 
which I actually have a really big theory on exactly how he's going to die, but I don't know if I want to say it because, again, I haven't seen it, but just in case it seems too spoilery for people, just based off of, like, again, the uh, newspaper clipping in the first episode and really thinking mm-hmm. about things that were said in that, uh, which, I mean, it was included in the episode for people to read. So I don't know. I'm on the fence of whether I should give that or not. Maybe at the end. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe give a little uh, spoiler-ish yeah. warning or something for folks if they want to hear it. Otherwise, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we will save that to the end. Uh, okay, that was my long. I thought it was going to be short and ended up going into a little bit of a long <laughs> ramble for me. So, what's your next point? All right. Well, the next point. Let's get into the bigger meat, not the biggest one, not the titular point, I guess. Uh, but. But the other big one that I want to talk about is this Verna mystery and New Year's and, ooh, yeah, you know, the connections there from the past things we learned and then also where Madeline and Roderick are now with the things that they're they're finding. Um, <clears throat> we get a little bit more New Year's. It's not a lot of new information. Uh, Roddy and Madeline are still there setting up this alibi for whatever happened that night. Um, do have thoughts on that again on a different note, but we'll get there later. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I like, yeah, you know, Verna's conversation with Madeline is really interesting where she's pointing out to her. I mean, she's the clear leader that, which we've talked about. She's, you know, seeing her as the powerhouse of this, I would say couple, but I mean, you know, sibling, well, you know, the sibling team here, these, the twins, uh, called, you know, the queen without a crown as she calls her and. Says, you know, all this potential and this power and this, like, she's definitely the one calling the shots, but she's always kind of in the background and saying, don't, you know, could you be more? You know, says, would you rather be rich or famous? And this whole conversation with her, uh, yeah, I like to say, you know, thank God you, she's, you know, thank God he's got you to call the shots. Like, that's how she starts that conversation. Uh, really sees her for what she is. And then there's the kiss between them at midnight, mm. which is ominous and interesting. And I, like, it almost feels like before they even have that conversation that was alluded to or shown, that was almost the start of, like, you know, sealing a deal with a kiss, right? Like, there was, there's something definitely there. Uh, and, of course, talk about lighting, again, was very interesting in that, that we have Madeline in gold, well-lit, and on the other side, Verna wearing all black, shrouded in the shadow of, of you know, uh, Madeline's face. Towards this very, you know, you could really see the difference in lighting between the two as they meet in the middle, which was really interesting. Wasn't that a beautiful shot? It was very beautiful. I mean, it was spooky. It was beautiful and hot. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but I mean, it, I, I got a little bit of a jump when Maddie turned and like Verna was like right there. In her mm-hmm. face. That was spooky to me, but continue. Yeah. yeah. So then going back into the okay, current timeline, but also a flashbacks to the current timeline of the confession. It's all time. Uh, but yeah, uh, this new Verna picture that they have because they got pulled off of Leo's phone. So now they've connected this to each person. Uh, so they're getting more of an idea of what's going on. Again, looking at the face. Now they have the, the security guard photo to this photo where they're like, that's who it is. And then they go down this rabbit hole a little bit of, well, maybe it's, you know, Madeline is saying, did you sleep with the bartender? And now it's 
you know, another one of the siblings that has popped up and this one's psychotic and going for some kind of crazy attention grab to get to the top and off all her other siblings. Like that's what they're, they're running with. But obviously I don't think that's the case, Uh, but man, that picture that Leo took is just creepy when you see it. What the hell? Because it's yeah. that picture that he took whenever she's like, oh, yeah, hold the cat so I can, mm-hmm. you know, send it to, you know, Julius or so I can, like, compare them and, you know, see, like, wow, isn't it crazy that, like, but, yeah, in this picture, the actual picture that was taken, she's holding a rat, not a cat, and then her eyes are glowing like a cat's eyes would, so you're already seeing that, that he was definitely, like, enchanted from the time he met her, which I assumed, yeah, was definitely the case. It was... Definitely not a pet shelter that he thought he was walking into, and there's a lot of like mind things that are going on with anyone uh, interacting with her. But it leads Madeline again to bring up the, the New Year's 1980, which Roderick is very upset about. He's stating, we swore we would never talk about it again. But Madeline doesn't really care because she's on to something. She's like, this is important. This means something. And I, I loved Arthur and that scene where they start talking about <laughs> that bar, that creepy bartender. Did, you know, did you sleep with her? And now we have some. And then Arthur, who is clearly because they swore to never talk about this, has never heard a single bit of this story. And I love the way he goes, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, too. Yeah. It's like there's something that they haven't told him because I feel like he probably knows every single little skeleton in Mm. their closet because he's probably put them there yeah um so yeah i love that too he's like tell me everything i could not do his (laughs) voice but yeah yeah, it's just laughed fun and then yeah after they they fill him in on what's going on you see him like giddy almost as giddy as arthur pym can get where he's like chomping at the bit to like go after this new lead where he's like can i go talk to this person can i find is like i'm gonna assume that if you unless you specifically tell me not to do something i'm gonna do it this way and he's like please <laughs> please uh it's his favorite I'm gonna thing be to hostile. do clearly I'm gonna be hostile unless you yeah. say so and then he's just like okay yay and yeah. practically skips to the door yeah because yeah. he has that conversation with august uh in one episode you know in earlier scene where you know, it's very much like, oh, you're such a great, you know, lawyer and you're good at this. Like, why do you work for these people? And it almost seems like, you know, out of necessity. But no, we see the real Arthur here where he loves what he does. He's good at it and he's happy to do it. Uh, <clears throat> and then the creepy kind of thing of the receipt that Madeline wants for him talking Ooh. to this person. Her mm-hmm. eyes. I want her eyes. Uh, which then... Just one of those clever little things is from that, the next scene that we get is Verna, (laughs) those eyes, that she's in Vic's office talking to her, and it kind of pulls out from there, which Mm -hmm. is just a fun little editing choice. It's just, I like that a lot. (laughs) They did some amazing things this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they always do. I mean, there's always something, uh, I think for me anyway, to delight in uh, with the direction, the lighting. Um, you know, uh, all all their choices, I, I think, yeah. have been really great. But this episode, for sure, definitely had some some great direction and cinematography and such. Oh yeah, and I guess the last little part about this is because we see Madeline is very much on track of like this is connected to New Year's one hundred percent. That's where she's at, and Roderick seems to be like, no, that's crazy. What are you talking about? We're not going to go down that road. But then we do see that when it's just him. 
no, he's thought about it, and he's probably on the same page. We see him down in the basement at Fortunato talking to the brick wall again. Um, you must be enjoying this. Because uh, clearly he remembers the bartender that Madeline mentioned. He just didn't want to talk about it. Because he goes, I never, I never touched her. You know, he's saying, I didn't sleep with her. But then that brings him to the realization of the truth is even more insane. Because it's like, because if that's not what happened, then it's the same person who's here today. And there's still pieces that we don't get about whatever deal was made or conversation was had between them. But you see those little gears ticking in his head where he's something is coming back. Like he's putting pieces together. Some of it we're still not seeing. Uh, I love that then like you'll get the little clinging sounds from behind the wall where he just responds with fuck you too. <laughs> I was like, man, <clears throat> freaking bells. Those little jingles. Uh, yeah, but then Roderick says to himself, he you know, says, if what's happening is really the crazy thing that I think is happening, that, you know, that this bartender, this Verna is back. He says, well, I, I can end it by ending myself. Uh, and we have that little scene where he's in that, that office upstairs where he's kind of talking about, you know, overdose. Well, that would look bad for the product. Uh, <laughs> seppuku? Nope, doesn't work out that way. Uh, you know, take a page from Leo's book jump uh which then leads to possibly the mostly visually stunning sequence not just this episode but maybe this whole show so far is honestly like as dark and like morbid as it is it was gorgeous honestly with him talking the whole 10 seconds and the whole you know where he pretends to smash the window with the sword and then you know the wind blowing as it's like you know opened the window and then him leaning back and having like the cityscape coming down behind him and then him I thought it was just really cool. Uh, I mean, it's it like was. it's definitely dark, but beautiful. Like, I was just like, man, what a really cool sequence. Um, of course, at, side note, at this point on my first watch while I'm laying in bed on my phone watching this happen, that's when my shower to curtain in the bathroom decided to just fall. Uh, <laughs> which was super fun for me while watching an intense horror show. Uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I know there. Uh, Don't know why that happened. (laughs) I was like, well, now that I've almost had a heart attack, let me fix that and then watch the rest of this episode. Uh (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but but aside from that terrifying moment when I was first watching it, then even again, watching it today on the second watch before this, it is. It's just an incredible sequence. That's great. And then we see him again, like, really contemplating it. And then he's, he goes to, like, smash the window. No, instead, he just goes to visit Vic, which I don't know if that was a better choice or not. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know if it was or not. I, I agree. I'll add, just add to that. It, it is dark because what he's talking about doing to himself is very dark. Uh, but... I feel like Mike Flanagan definitely has a way of mixing that dark and beautiful, like dark, mm-hmm. dark subject matter, but it kind of being a beautiful kind of scene or beautiful in this moment to to look at that visual of what it would be like as he's, you know, thinking about the best way, you know, to go about that, you know, as the floor is like dropping, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was stunning. I, it reminds me of some of the beautiful visuals we got in uh doctor sleep yeah you know there were some beautiful visuals in in that movie and i'm like yep we're seeing that same guy <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> oh, yeah. that 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 gave us some of that 
you know, beautiful visions uh, in, in this episode as well. Yeah, so, which random little tangent on that. I think we've mentioned it before. I think like Dr. Sleep might be my favorite King adaptation film. And it's because of that Flanagan touch where the things that you're watching are absolutely horrifying, but yet so beautiful visually. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a hard watch, but a visually beautiful watch at the same time. Yeah, I love that juxtaposition, you know, between that. Um, so, yeah. Well, talking about the flashback from New Year's, uh, I have a, a small point because I don't, I, there's so much mystery. So I feel like I'm not gaining a lot of insight. Like we're just getting these small little pieces and I still don't know how everything fits into the puzzle. I've, I'm confident we're going to learn eventually. But I'm still confused about a lot of uh, what happened and what we're being shown. And it's got to be important for as little as what we're getting has to be important, right? I keep telling myself that I'm like, because I keep, I, I'm, I have this crave, craving to get more information, yeah. but we're only getting like these little pieces. Because I, mem- I remember, talk- wasn't it last week? I was like, I hope I see freaking New Year's again. Like, let's get back to that. Let's find out what the hell happened already. Well, yeah. we got back there, but we got just a teeny tiny little bit. Um, and I'm like, okay, if he's only showing us just this little bit, it has to be for a reason. There has to be something we're supposed to learn from this. I, but I don't know what it is yet. Right. I, I'm, I'm hoping that I would just get more pieces. But I found it interesting that Verna in this scene with Maddie, like she's done in other scenes with Leo. Uh, pretty sure she did it with Perry too. I didn't go back and rewatch the scenes. I just I have not had the time to like go back and watch all of her interactions with the other siblings uh, before they died. But she talks a lot about different times in history, mm-hmm. and the way that she's talking about these times, she's re- you know referring uh, to Cleopatra, talking about you know, the the Bible and, you know, the story behind the ravens, you know, that, that Roderick mentioned. The way that she references these times in history, it's like, instead of stories or just talking about history, she's almost talking about it like she was there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell are you? Or who are you? Just, right. you know, it it adds to the mystery of Verna and who or what is she? I mean, I feel like it's, I feel like this, she has to be some kind of almost supernatural. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I, how much I want this story to have a supernatural element. I don't think I mind it so much, but I don't know. We'll see how it ends up, you know, but I feel like, especially like with this episode, there's a little bit of super supernatural happenings here. So I found that interesting about Verna. I was like, here she is again with more history references. And she's not just talking about it like, you know, it's like she's she was there and she lived it. Uh, we get more insight into Maddie's obsession with living forever. She's referring to it here again, um, basically saying that that's what she wants. You know, she chooses to be rich versus famous when Verna's prodding her and asking her the questions she doesn't want to let a man have power over her and when she's like okay so you're rich what now and she's like you know well i want to figure out how to live forever so we've heard about her idea for ai and algorithms 
she collects all of these rare antiques and you know things that have to do with the afterlife or the thought of living forever so and then when you mentioned the kiss did that seal some kind of deal between them was that solidifying something and then i wonder does maddie even know what that meant you know because she recalls new year's eve she recalls something that her and roderick did she recalls verna being this bartender but does she not recall that or does she not think it was of any importance? I mean, they had a conversation with her. We saw mm-hmm. it wasn't that in the first episode, but is that something that they don't remember? Does she not remember? Is that something that she's choosing not to remember? I don't know. But I'm like, well, there there was something there. We just haven't seen it yet. So yeah. um, I don't know. But I, it, it felt a little bit like a handshake with the devil. But in this mm-hmm. scene, it was a kiss is what I, I was kind of getting the vibe of. I don't know if yeah. I'm right, because again, I feel like we're just getting these little bits, but they're important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to see more, but I have full like faith that we will. Because mm-hmm. I mean, thinking, I mean, because there's three episodes left and the way that they've done it, I mean, it's perfectly fitting. Eight episodes and there's six kids where we had kind of a prologue. We got to see, set up everything. We have the six episodes of the six kids and then we'll have one final episode as kind of the bookend, the, the epilogue to really wrap everything up and i i think that it's going to get pulled off perfectly i i, I have faith in flanagan <laughs> i do i do but oh gosh it just it's i'm just like just give me a little bit more it just <laughs> he knows how to tease that's for sure yeah. like i'm gonna give you a little a little bit here but i'm not gonna give you the whole thing yeah what's your next point all right really my last main point big point i've got a lot of notes on and then i'll have some extra notes and stuff that we've talked about but as i like to i mean the telltale heart let's talk about what's what makes this episode what it is uh we talked about again like the episode opening with the heart mesh sound and then again uh the full credits i did sit and soak in those this time uh (laughs) like the chimpanzee ones we had in episode three the entire credits are just this haunting repetitive mechanical click of the heart mesh which man (laughs) just really sets that tone and feeling of unease right Mm -hmm. uh but yeah where this story really starts off is this argument between victorine and alessandra her partner in business and romantic ways yeah uh where alessandra hasn't even learned that she's doing this trial surgery on quote-unquote pamela uh until right now and shocker she's not okay with it uh which you know they're not ready for human trials Allie knows that uh and she's also pissed that she had no say in the ordeal whatsoever so now that she has a say she's saying no and then where she gets really upset once she makes this connection while talking to Vic that wait a minute you how did you get this passed and it was like you falsified the reports you forged my signature which there's a callback right so there's uh, a nice little callback to Roderick and yeah. Fortunato and his forged, forged mm-hmm. signature yep yeah through all generations Fortunato's forging signatures for everything they want to get done mm-hmm. uh, but yeah once she realizes that's what's happened they really have this big knock out drag out verbal fight 
which all of it with a uh, total eclipse of the heart by Bonnie Tyler playing in the background, which is just oh, wow. fitting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely fitting. Man. Oh, Vic's pulling this whole, well, you used my money, you know, card trying to guilt trip her, you know. Oh, you, you know, you wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything without my money, Fortunato money. So you're complicit in all the things you're, we're doing as well, because you knew that you could never get anything as, uh, these things accomplished without us and without me. And then I think it kind of backfires because Allie agrees. She's like, you're right, which is why now I'm choosing to do the right thing. and I'm going to leave you uh, again, business and romantic wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have this, you know, then they talk about the NDA. It's like, well, you signed that NDA, so you're not going to talk. And Allie says, no, I'm going to talk. Uh, I love that. You know, well, it doesn't cover illegal <laughs> activity. So and she goes, yes, it most certainly fucking does. That's a PIM special. Uh, <laughs> a dude thinks of everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the wording again, warning her, you know, if you go against it, if you speak out and she's talking about legally, the lawyers, you know, they will rip you apart. And it's like, well, maybe they won't, but, uh, <laughs> Some uh someone might. And then again, they, that line comes up when Al says, I don't care if you sue me or rip me apart. You know, fuck, I should have seen it. You ushers, you're all fucking monsters. I was like, that's eh, a, Bad choice. Um, mm-hmm. Which even on first watch, I mean, obviously, Vic picks up that bookend and throws it at her and then it cuts to black. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know that's yeah. going to end in tragedy. Like, you know exactly what's happening. Yeah, that 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 was not what shocked me. No. <laughs> in, in <this> episode. Uh, <laughs> no. Right. Which then immediately the next scene, Vic is hearing that sound in her head as she's sitting in the office, which so you know what's happened because. Like I said, if you're familiar with the Telltale Heart, which I feel most people are, we know what's going on. As soon as mm-hmm. that clicking starts happening and, and Victorine is is distracted and bothered by it, you're like, you put those pieces together. You're like, well, then obviously she killed Allie and is like covering it up in some way. But what's unique about this version of the story is that even Vic has blocked it out completely. Because mm-hmm. she's calling and leaving voice messages for Allie. She's, you know wondering where's her girlfriend what's you know oh call me back to where it's kind of the clicking leading her to discover her own crime um so i've got another one of these if you're interested i know this one is a big most people know this story but again because i found it on a lot of these other ones is this quick synopsis because they're fun to kind of look at um so the telltale heart by edgar Allan poe of course the story begins with the narrator defending his sanity explaining that he's not mad but rather has heightened senses He claims that his ability to hear sounds from heaven and hell lead him to develop an obsession with an old man's eye. The old man, (laughs) eyes, again, uh, little references to the eyes in this one, is the old man with whom the narrator lives. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, roommates. (laughs) They were roommates. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but um, this man has a clouded, pale, blue, vulture-like eye, which distresses and manipulates the narrator so much. So he's driven to madness by the eye, and the narrator decides to kill the old man. And each night for seven consecutive nights, he stealthily enters the old man's room, but the eye remains closed, preventing him from acting. So on the eighth night, however, the old man awakens and senses a presence in the room. Despite the narrator's efforts to remain hidden, he accidentally makes a noise, causing the old man to wake fully. Terrified, the narrator waits in the dark until the old man's fear subsides. When a single ray of light shines on the eye, the narrator's obsession reaches his peak, and he lunges at the old man suffocating him with his bed and dismembering the body. 
After concealing the corpse beneath the floorboards, the narrator hears a persistent thumping sound, which he believes is the old man's heartbeat. The sound intensifies, tormenting him and driving him to confess his crime to the police. So he invites the officers to search the premises, confident that they won't discover any evidence. As the investigation progresses, the narrator becomes increasingly agitated, tormented by the incessant sound of the heartbeat, which he believes is growing louder. Consumed by guilt, he finally breaks down and confesses to the officers, revealing the location of the body. To his surprise, the police officers claim they haven't heard any sound. The narrator's guilt overwhelms him, and he becomes convinced that the beating heart he hears is his own, and the relentless tension and psychological torment brought on by the guilt ultimately lead to his mental collapse and descent into madness. So again, they, they change the story in a lot of little ways, but leaving the kind of spirit of it. I think it was beautifully done. Mm-hmm. This was a really great, I think, adaptation um, and a little twist on on the story. Because, yeah, you're, you're right what you said. This is, even if you haven't read everything Poe has done, most people know the Telltale Heart. I mean, at yeah. some point, if you've ever taken any type of middle school or early high school lit class or something, you've definitely yeah. studied a little bit of Poe and had to read uh, something that's definitely one of more uh, one of his more popular works. Yeah. And I thought it was a really nice adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of moments where Vic almost learns about her father's diagnosis. The first one being Madeline coming in with mm-hmm. her own vested interest in the human trials because uh, she's worried about her brother after learning about his diagnosis, and she's trying to relay the importance to Vic, but of course she's distracted by this. Mysterious ticking noise, and no, it's not Potter Puppet Pals. It's a different one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then later, you know, Carla Gugino with her master class beginning again as Pamela is talking to Vic about the concerns, and Vic is still distracted by the, the ticking, clicking mechanical heart. And I noticed, you know, Pamela slips back into full Verna while... Vic is distracted. It's kind of messing with Victorine's head even more. You know, yes. again, that changed the accent, the body language, her affectation, everything. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, where like that, you know, what's more important to you? Being famous or saving lives? Like the accent changes, though. And you're just like, whoa, you've always dreamed about one of those, not so much the other. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's incredible what she does. Then we talked about the, the orange lighting and stuff. That's where we really first see it. A uh, random note that I kind of picked up on is when Vic is calling Allie again after that, she starts to say, I love you, and then ends it with, you know, she changes it there. I'll give you anything you want. Name your price. Just like kind of the mask is off. She's accepting who she really is. Uh, too late, though, because she has already killed Allie. and just doesn't remember it at this point. Uh, well, <laughs> it's interesting because last episode... I wasn't sure where Roderick was going with it, but when he in his conversations with Augie uh, during last week's episode, he talked a lot about denial. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, okay, it makes sense. I feel like that that probably does play a lot into the story, and probably a lot in Roderick's story as well. I'm sure there's a lot of denial uh, that's that we're going to learn about from him too. But I feel like that really played a part in this episode. With oh yeah, you know. Vic not being able to really accept, uh, you know, what she did. And this is how it played out. It affected her mentally and what she was able to, you know, kind of uh, understand what was real and what was not. Yeah. Which it gets, it goes 
way off the rails, which is really interesting. I get Tania Miller just, I mean. She's a wonderful actress. You know, that entire truck of awards that we were backing up to Carla Gugino's house, we might want to, like, share that with with Tania Miller a little bit, too. Like, hang on. I think, like, holy crap. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, uh, just to break down that, that last bit of the episode, which. I'm sure you probably have thoughts and notes on this, so jump in mm-hmm. whenever as well. Uh, but yeah, because mentioned Roderick going over there to visit her and Victorine's blasting music to try to just drown out this insufferable sound that's constantly clicking on and on and on. Uh, and Roderick's trying to have this apology heart to heart with her about, you know, he's about to, again, it's the second time where she's about to learn. He's about to come clean, I feel like, about this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to build it up and have her understand the importance and weight of her project but that music and he's just like can you turn it down and then she's like no i can't um but then she does decide she's like actually now that my father is here maybe you can help me with this incessant noise and for the first time someone else can hear it uh it <laughs> you know almost made you wonder if she she shared in some of his uh, diagnosis, because I think we, or maybe I'll speak for myself, Leo, you know, wondered if maybe he shared in some of that, mm-hmm. you know, as well, uh, the same affliction that Roderick suffers from, if maybe Victorine also suffered, because then he's like, oh, I I can hear it too. And I was like, oh. Oh, right. What? Yeah. She's like, yeah. everybody else has told me they can't hear it, but then he can hear it. And so you wonder about that, but then it's like, no, he can hear it because this time, for real, yeah. the click is coming from inside the house, right? Uh, oh my gosh, so and, twisted. Yeah, and then Allie walks by in the background, uh, which then just like all within Vic's head, it leads her to remember exactly what happened. But it's still this like weird version of it because she's like, oh, I remember, but she seems happy. And she's like, dad, I remember where she is. And then. Going in and, oh, don't take that tone with me. And it's just very, like, she has completely lost it in the orange Mm -hmm. lighting. But yeah, I mean, we see what happens. Yeah, the bookend, obviously, when she chunked it at her, hit her in the head with it, this blunt force trauma that leads Allie to just bleed out and die right there on the floor. And then you see her, like, panicking and about to call the police. And then, like, full psychotic break mode, where instead she's like, what if I just cut her open and install the heart mesh? And to this lifeless corpse and you know and then we learn that's what this sound is is that mechanism that's just forcing a dry dead heart to endlessly beat for nothing and that's what we're hearing and she just keeps the body propped up in the other room she goes and talks to it and it's just like yeah this is horror this is fucking dark this might be the darkest <laughs> we, we we you know melted a whole building full of people in the second episode and this might be the darkest moment of the show though <laughs> yeah dark and hard to watch and i you know i think as we were talking about in the beginning of the episode really stuck mm-hmm. like it took like i'm yeah i'm glad we can sit with this one for a little you know a little longer a couple extra days because a lot of this was really uh it was uncomfortable but also interesting and so well done mm-hmm. and well acted. Yeah. Just Tania Miller does that great job of like, you can see just in her eyes, 
you can tell where she is mentally, just the way that her eyes look. <laughs> so let's talk about that. You've, you've brought, you know, talked to, obviously this is one of my points as well, obviously, because mm. we're both, we're going to talk about it for yeah. sure. It's, it's, it's the, the main point of this episode and hugely impactful, obviously. And you've said a lot of things that I was going to say as well, but what I want to really talk about is after uh, Allie is discovered in the room mm -hmm. and you see these shifts with Vic and yes we get that orange hue and it seems like she's kind of back in kind of like what she was in her office with Pamela slash Verna this shift in her mentally a little bit that she seems a little I'm not sure what's real I don't quite you know like I'm a little in denial about what's going on she, you know, she's kind of having that what's real, what's not kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There is a moment when she's looking at Allie and she grabs the knife. And when mm. she turns her head and she looks at Roderick. Now, I feel like just for a moment, and it could just be maybe I was sleep deprived when I watched this episode. But I feel like for just a split second. It's almost like she breaks the fourth wall mm -hmm. and stares into the camera before she keeps talking to Roderick. And I wonder if that has anything to do with, you know, you gave that lovely summary of the telltale heart. There's a line, one of the opening lines that says, observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. And I feel like her, if that's true, that she's doing that when she looks at us as uh, you know, telling us the story and we then become the judge of the story, kind of like is what happens in um, Poe's story is how mm. it feels a little bit. Um, yeah. Sorry, go on. Do you have thoughts? Oh, no. So, yeah, because it, it does. It, it leads us to even wonder what exactly is real in this moment. I mean, I feel like, I mean, yeah, definitely. Vic ended up stabbing herself in front of her father. Uh, like, I think that did happen. But, like, some of the interactions, like, the way things went down, because there is a line when Vic has the knife at Roderick, and she says, maybe if you just jumped, I wouldn't have to do this. It How she Vic. wouldn't have known? Yeah, she, <laughs> she wouldn't have known about that. So it's definitely no. something in his head, too. Yeah. It, yeah, like... Who whose viewpoint, I guess, are we are we getting? What are we seeing? What are we what are we being shown? This episode goes a little bit further because we've seen Verna shapeshift or I don't know if that's the accurate explanation or if that's truly what happened. But whatever it was that happened with Camille uh, and that chimpanzee and Verna, whether she's a shapeshifter, whether she can make her believe she's seeing something that's not really there, I'm I'm not sure. Same thing with Leo. She was able to make him think he was seeing something. She's holding a rat, not a cat. This cat did not exist. You know, whatever. Uh, did she somehow embody a little bit Vic for a moment? Because... I don't think she, Vic, didn't really come to uh, until after she had the scalpel plunged into her heart. Yeah, it because was. Because 
you almost see like if she's possessed because that she turns it on herself that like those eyes the way she looks and she stabs herself and then there's this moment where she almost wakes up and like realizes where she is and has a mm-hmm. you know, daddy and is like yeah where it's like now Vic is back but she wasn't there before <laughs> no no and and how much of it was Vic and her because I do think something mentally happened to her after that incident with Allie. I think, you know, in this heat of the moment, anger, this argument, and she throws that bookend at Allie and kills her. And then when she realizes what she's done, she's not able to accept that, right? So she goes into full denial, can't accept it, still calling Allie like she's going to answer the phone. She's thinking, oh, we're just having a moment we've had this really bad argument and she's not answering me right she's ignoring my calls or texts or whatever she can't accept what she's done that makes sense but there was something and oh Tania Miller just really knocked it out of the park in her performance where she is shifting in and out but there was something about when she turned around after she looked at Allie and then she turned around and looked at Roderick it was almost like she embodied Verna a little bit like what we saw from Verna now she still had like her accent it wasn't like she was speaking in like a different accent or something but there was something about her movement something about how she spoke that sounded a lot like Verna and that smile her freaking smile looked like Verna's did yeah uh, even to a point and I don't think that Vic would have really done that to herself if not somehow compelled if verna wasn't some in some way channeling her a little i don't believe that in that and for those few seconds there that that was really vic i think Mm -hmm. verna had something to do with that because yeah yeah, she when she came to and she had the 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 scalpel in her heart or knife whatever it was and she was like daddy there was like a light light switch went off or something Mm -hmm. that she was back I don't know. That was all was con- all this all the things. Everything happening here was so so intense. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, from yeah the that act like you know being just impressed with like watching her in and out the horror of what's going on, and then in Flanagan style, he still managed to slip a joke in there or at least something that's that dark dark comedy where I was like I shouldn't find it funny, but I did and I like kind of giggled a little bit even as awful and like dark as it is but there's that moment where you know Roderick is like how do i get out of this situation he's like you're you're fully funded uh let's just let's go and talk about you know he's trying to just like extract her from the situation and she has that moment well not until she apologizes not until she promises to be a team player and the way he just goes well she's she's quite dead isn't she just the way he says that i couldn't help but laugh i <laughs> I, I couldn't either i i'm questioning everything about myself as I keep (laughs) laughing at these truly morbid uh, scenes and lines and such. I'm like, oh, there's clearly I need to look a little bit at myself, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. (laughs) But I can't help it. I did too. I I can't imagine. It had to be completely shocking to to Roderick. I mean, he's probably seen and done extremely dirty, underhanded things over the years. you know, and especially in, in his business and such. And, but I can't imagine walking in on something like that, that, you know, your one of your children is 
responsible for. Like, right. what the hell did you do? Yeah, and not you even know? like, oh, no, you found the body. But then for Vic to walk in behind him and go, oh, there she is. You know, like, oh, something Whoa. is very wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something really bad happened here. Yeah. I... It was interesting to see Roderick, too, and, you know, as you were talking about earlier, in this vulnerable kind of state where he really just kind of decided it seemed like he was getting ready to kind of confess to to Victorine a little bit because they've gotten pretty close to, you know, revealing, oh, there's this very special patient, you know, that it's going to need this. So it's really important that we get this right. And she's under all this pressure. And I feel like Roderick was maybe... Maybe that's where he was going. I don't know if he was actually going to because we got interrupted, you know, with what happened next. But, you know, he he found that he couldn't he couldn't carry out what he was talking about in the previous episode. Um, And I think feeling pretty guilty for pushing Victorine as much and putting her under so much stress and feeling like maybe if he hadn't done that, she wouldn't have actually done what she done. But I don't I don't think. Maybe that did play a part, but I think it. I think all of this somehow ties back to Verna in oh, yeah. in some way. What do you think he meant? Do you think when he was talking to himself, and you know, when he's talking about either overdosing on pills or something like that, that um, or you know how he was going to handle handle that when he said, if if he's able to do that, it saves the rest of them. Like, yeah, is that part of? I don't, I don't know. That's another one of those movies. It's like, <laughs> is that supposed to be part? Of, like, is was there something? It's like it's all he's supposed to pay some kind of price, and yeah. Uh, but then again, there's that moment with with Vic as Verna, possibly wherever. When has that line of you know maybe if you would have jumped, this wouldn't happen. Because then she follows that up with, of course it would. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> what what is all of this? I. I don't know, these little pieces. So much mystery. Uh, well, let's see. I have one one more, and then I think notes. And, and this kind of ties maybe a little bit more into what we were already talking about, but it's kind of just looking at all the episodes so far uh, with Roderick and the siblings and their relationships I'm like, I don't know that any of them are capable of love. It's like they're so obsessed with power and money. And I and I feel like that's how so much of this started. Like that's where our story kind of started. Seeing yeah. them as children, who their father was, the flashbacks that we're getting, the desire to take back what they felt is their birthright. Madeline saying she would rather be rich than famous wants to live forever. Roderick in the flashbacks isn't doesn't seem to be super greedy, but he is now anyway. And it seems to have trickled down to his children as well. Because it feels like again, this is like the root of everything. R- Roderick and Madeline, which is this is one of my notes um as well, but I'll include it in in my point here. You know, where did they come from? their mom had an affair with her boss. So that was probably more out of lust than love, which everyone apparently knows. Side note, that's yeah, that was part of my note was this, you know, little reveal that we got from um 
oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, Roderick's Griswold. boss. Thank you, Griswold. Oh, too many freaking names. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> there's a lot, and all the flashbacks and present day and going back and forth. Griswold, thank you. Uh, has revealed like everybody knows. Everybody knows about you. Um, we don't. We still don't know what happened to Roderick and Annabelle. Like, I, I feel like yeah. he loved her deeply. They had a, a true loving relationship. So, what happened to her? Because then he goes through these other women and they they're kind of referenced as like these one night stands you know not any love or feelings really behind them like so much so that when their moms are at the funeral he gives them just like a barely a glance like eh you know and just moves on and i'm like holy crap you have children with these women and you barely acknowledge their presence and and their loss as well uh Perry and Camille, they only had transactional type relationships, didn't seem to be a lot of like love, you know, in, in those relationships. Napoleon with Julius, I mean, he had a partner, but it was very much like, well, Julius had to kind of toe the line a little bit, right? Like, hey, you know, you and I can be in this relationship and it can be kind of a good thing, but I, sh- I have to be able to do all the drugs that I want to do and you can't complain or say anything. And I have to be able to like sleep with other people or whatever. Um, and that, that just has to be okay. Like Julius just has to be okay with all of those things in order to be with Napoleon, which sounds awful. Yeah. Not well, talking about dishonesty, you know, with, with Leo, not even just to, to Julius, but I mean, in a way, He's dishonest with himself. That's his whole relationship was him lying to himself that he could have a a normal committed relationship when clearly it was just, you know, he was it was a cover up for himself to be like, see, look, I can have a normal relationship. I can love a person. Mm-hmm. But, but no, I mean, clearly he's lying to himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about Freddie and Maury, which, you know, I thought that like, oh, they're like a normal relationship or, or something, you know, they're they're married and have a child. and. But I feel like there's something deeper there. You know, you mentioned earlier about like back in like what was episode one or whatever, a little bit about things that, um, you know, little things that we heard. And then in like this episode, he's he's so obsessed with this lie that that Maury told that now he's like just yanking her right out of the hospital. And it's like, what is this going to be like a misery type situation? <laughs> that he's going to keep her at home, <laughs> you know? I mean, so he can, and, and goes on about not telling Lenore about not being able to trust people. So it's like, um, okay, that doesn't seem very healthy or loving. And we're reminded, you know, they're, what um, were you doing with the cockadoodie phone? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. If that came out, I would absolutely die. If that's a line. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know if I, if I would like that or not, but that was absolutely hilarious. Um, and what was scary, like you mentioned, you know, when the argument between Victorine and, and Allie, there's an NDA that all of these partners have to sign uh, that can be used against them to prevent them from talking or to kind of make sure that they toe the line a little bit. Doesn't sound super loving there. Mm-hmm. And then, look, 
Tammy's a terrible person. I've never oh my God. defended her or anything. Because I've always said all the siblings in their own way, even Leo, who was the least worst, I guess, if you want to say that, uh, out of the siblings. I thought, well, Tammy's, Tammy's, Tammy sucks for sure. But wow, you know, even her and her relationship and I guess true relationship with her husband was revealed here. Um because by the by the end, she just totally went off on him oh my God. and said that she just chose him, not because she loved him, but because his whole persona, his influencer, like sound like he, he was a bit of a fitness influencer on his own. And yeah. she chose him to not only, you know, be like a face for her brand and expand it and grow it, but also he could bring his own followers like if he had a good following it's like oh well we're just going to include yours with mine and have this huge empire right so i'm like gosh none of these kids and roderick and madeline seem to really because i don't even think roderick really loves juno i'm still yeah it's like he married her out of it's all publicity is like look at what my drug can do and then i met my wife because she her life was saved by my drug look how amazing i am it's yeah yeah. So, yeah, I don't think he loved her out of, you know, or uh, married her, sorry, out of love or anything. So I'm just like, none of these people can really know or have, have experienced love. And it's like they, and in Victorine, you know, you mentioned like she was uh, telling Allie, getting ready to say, I love you. But instead she's like, you know, just name your price. I'll give you anything that you want. They all seem to just value this money and power over over love. Um, and I don't know if that's part of some sort of curse or something that's on them brought on by whatever Maddie and Roderick did or something, or if that's just what greed and power has done, just completely rotted this, this entire family. And maybe that's their curse. I don't know, but if it is some type of like a curse or something on them, but it just, I'm just like, gosh, they're all rotten. And and it's infected their relationships, and it sounds um, just awful, I think. Um, but that was just kind of like my last little note, just observing all of these relationships, and especially getting that insight with, knew there was something between Tammy and Bill T mm-hmm. there, you know, <laughs> with this arrangement that they have, but wow, she she didn't hold back. Do you have do you have thoughts about that? I know I have oh, just yeah, a note about sure. her in general. <laughs> yeah, I've just got notes left, but yeah, no one of hers is I mean, you know, one of the little bits of notes I have is definitely about her with also sh- the mental degradation a little bit with Tammy. Uh with yeah, again, is it the effects of Verna mixed with her own anxiety, lack of sleep, these things where she's kind of imagining Candy uh in the hallway with the bodyguard, mm-hmm. but then that's not happening, and she wakes up while Bill is in the middle of trying to have this conversation with her. What was uh, that? That man. was was that real or? Is this, again? It's like making you question, like really, what's real? Because then in that conversation, you know, she's accusing him of you're cheating on me with this this whore, and then it was like, you know, she keeps appearing in all these streams, and the bodyguard saw you walking with her in the park, and he goes, "That was you, you psycho! I was walking with you." <laughs> I'm I like, know. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she is like going off the deep end you know herself and we saw how well that ended for leo and vic so uh 
she's imagining things and seeing things, and it's not even directly connected with like Verna necessarily right now, but kind of is. Uh, but yeah, she's just you know he's Bill's trying to get her to postpone this brand launch because she's he's seeing that she's not in a good mental state and she hasn't been sleeping and she's refusing. And yes, what you talked about, she just becomes the worst person imaginable with, you know, Oh, you're Mm. just a pretty face and a body for the brand. And it's all for all for optics. And I don't actually need you. You're just an, an accessory and a product. Uh, An asset. mm -hmm. Can you, (laughs) (laughs) she is a real see you next Tuesday in this episode, man, which I mean, good for him. Uh, he grows some balls and walks away because mm-hmm. get away from her before you get hurt. Because we see how things went for Allie and Perry's friends. And, you know, run, Bill. Don't stop. <laughs> Just keep keep walking. It was it was refreshing. I mean, it, it sucked because Allie ended up dying, you know, for mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. But it was at least good to see that, that she hadn't let that infect. Her, she's like absolutely not. As soon as she understood that her signature had been forged and what Vic had done, she's like, "That's it, I'm out." Mm-hmm. And she didn't care what the consequences were. Uh, m- uh, maybe if she knew what was really going to happen, maybe it'd been different, or she'd found another way to get out. But it was refreshing to see from the both of them that they were like, "Wow, okay, well, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. not not going to stick around for that." So at least, at least there's some folks that are you know, capable of doing the right thing. It's like, as much as I really like Matt Bedell as an actor (laughs) for the character of Bill, I hope we don't see him again. I hope he just (laughs) leaves and he goes and he's free and he doesn't have to get out. (laughs) You don't know how lucky you were if you're able to get out from this point on. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, that was. And how much of that is everything that's going on in their family? Siblings are dying. She's under a lot of stress trying to launch this, her, her, her company, her brand, whatever. She's not getting any sleep. That affects you. But then how much of that is also because Verna has infiltrated uh, their, their life, you know, uh, and, it, you know, is that also playing a part? Is it all the things? Is it just that? It's hard to tell, you know, and I was confused. I was like, what, what happened there from the time that she opened and closed her apartment door to all of a sudden she's kind of waking up from, you know, I don't know, from that or from something else when she's in bed and her husband's talking to her. I'm like, what is that all about? Where mm-hmm. where did time go? It was like a time loss kind of thing. Or did it even really happen? Right. So bizarre. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Um, did you have any other notes? Because that's uh, about what I'm down to. I was just scrolling through, seeing what so. I got yeah, here. Yeah, because we've talked about a lot of them. Because yeah, we just kind of broke them down. A lot of the other little characters with Freddie, we've talked about. Um, there's just a little scene I mentioned with Arthur and August sitting together, mm-hmm. where and I mentioned August asking him, "Why do you do this? You're capable of much more." And I like his response. He says, "I wouldn't be where I am today without Roderick Usher." Neither would you, by the way. And I was like, that is quite poignant. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so true. And then we see, you know, Arthur's kind of using, I guess, if you want to, at least that's what August is saying, you know, the, the deaths and, do, you, know, our, uh, you know, August kind of insinuates that, you're, no, his, you know, the insinuation of the informant. And Arthur's trying to use that as his grounds to halt the hearing, this continuance here. Which, continuance was an interesting word. I'm not 
super into like legal jargon, so I didn't know that one really. I had to Google it. And I was like, okay, what exactly is a continuance? Because I want to make sure I'm on the right page. And it's like, it's the exact opposite of what the word sounds like it should be. Because continuance, you would think continuing, and it's like, no, it actually means to postpone or even uh, adjourn the trial. Uh, so. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of continue is weirdly enough within US because continuance also means to continue something, but if it's used in a legal US law uh, form, then it means to, yeah, postpone or even end the trial. So that's interesting. But um, then that would definitely explain. I mean, I get Augie's pissed anyway. He just pissed in general about how he thinks that they're always getting away with things. But it's not like, oh, we're just going to pause because, hey, they've literally just had three deaths in the family consecutively within just a matter of days. Mm -hmm. How about we pause is what I was thinking uh, it was it was to mean. Yeah. You know, and that way let the family grieve, kind of deal with their children's estate, that kind of thing. But I didn't realize that it meant it's pretty much going to just end things right there. And yeah, that's, that's really he what he's pushing for. <laughs> that's why Augie's so upset. But then, you know, you see from Arthur's perspective where he's saying it's like, well, you're the one that brought up this informant and there's now a possible link between that. And so the safety of the ushers needs to be addressed. So that's why it's important. So yeah, Dupin gets in, uh, you know, very furious about that. And then he kind of goes on that rant, you know, where he's like, this is bullshit. You see him really just cracking under everything that's happening. And that judge, like, you just, like, see, it's like, you can't, like, 100% say, oh, he's in the pocket of the ushers. But, like, the way that he, like, responds to things, you can see how August is, like, clearly he is. But I can't tell him he is because then I'm in contempt of court for insinuating that he is. And he constantly has to be like, I'm not insinuating anything, Your Honor. Mm-hmm. When clearly, like, he's having to tiptoe this line with him. And he's furious with the judge, too. Well, we but- know Alex Krychek. He, <laughs> he plays both sides of the fence. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, with August speaking about, you know, the ushers keep getting away with everything and everything. And I like the line where he's like, it's almost supernatural. And it's like, mm. if you only knew, which I, I thought Dude. about when you mentioned that earlier with even you got to get that feeling. It's like, yeah, that vibe's there. Uh, but only if you knew what was going on. You have no idea, dude. <laughs> uh, we didn't talk uh, too much about the confession at the house which ties into that a little ties bit. into that yeah because now it's time for august to make a confession of his own that yeah as we kind of worry like wondered about even in early episodes there never was an informant he does confess that where it's right yeah <laughs> or at says, least i think yeah. unless it it was like a no maybe it still is a thing but <laughs> i feel like i'm right yeah yeah where he says you know he did in fact stoop to a lower level just to shake up the ushers to cause discord uh, but he didn't expect the ushers to start dropping dead afterwards, uh, which then Roderick absolves August of that lingering guilt or worry. It wasn't his fault. Roderick is taking full blame. How exactly? We'll get to that. Stop saying that, Roderick. I'm tired of you doing that. We want to know. We're waiting. Um, but yeah, and then with that, we get the ghost spotting in the, the house during the confession, this time with Tania Miller being just the most horrifying you know the pained and anguished moaning scream which again she's so good at that kind of stuff like man bravo uh (laughs) um and then it leads to when he's when when roderick is absolving august of that guilt leads to this little tiny i don't even know if i'd call it a monologue but this 
a couple sentences from Roderick that I thought was really interesting. He says, the mind, is, uh, the mind of guilt is full of scorpions, and I wouldn't wish their sting on anyone. Never waste your time on guilt or shame. Is their alchemy a savage cross to bear? Which I did do some Googling to try to figure out what these references were. Because I really definitely felt that, that like, is their alchemy a savage cross to bear? I couldn't find anything. The only thing it gave me really? was running around back to the fall of the House of Usher. But, and I didn't want to click on anything and get anything spoiled. Yeah. So that's all it would lead me to. Because I was like, that sounds like a direct reference to something. But it, I couldn't find anything. Just beautiful Flanagan yeah. poetry, damn it. Now, of course, the, the first part of that, the mind of guilt is full of scorpions. That was a direct reference, but not Poe, which I was, you know, like, huh, they're, they're not using a, a Poe reference. That is actually a Shakespeare quote from Macbeth. Ooh, so, interesting. was really interesting. But, but this speech itself kind of summed up the series, because I think, you know, people, <laughs> Lindsay, maybe, uh, she's listening, uh, but not to call her out on anything, it's just like, there are people that are like, what is this show? Like, is it, it's not the heartwarming tragedy, which is a weird thing to think about but that kind of sums up what flanagan in his heartwarming tragedy that's kind of what he's good at mm-hmm. um it's like well that's not what's what's going on here you know because it's usually grief is a big part of his stories and we're not really seeing that like oh the family's not grieving they don't care uh and so then it makes me think this is not a story about grief but it's a story about guilt at least from Roderick's perspective but then also you mentioned another g word greed Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, he starts with this guilt speech, but then what line does he throw right there in the middle of it is never waste your time on guilt, shame. Where he's almost burying that right away, going, you know, it's this, you know, the, the saying with the love of money is the root of all evil almost feels like a theme of this show as well. Yeah. But, you know, I would, I would almost argue that maybe in the scenes that we get between Roderick and Augie that he is grieving now. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, maybe not even when we see him at the funerals for his kids in the short, short clips that we got there. But I think at this point we are seeing him in grief because it seems like everything is stripped away. Cause he's like, like he's telling Augie, he's like, dude, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like it's all over. You, you know, just, just tell me to say it. It's, you know, uh, you know, so I, I feel like he's he's kind of laid bare, and I mm-hmm. think we're seeing the true Roderick a little bit anyway, uh, evolved. But seeing seeing not the young Roderick who was maybe a little naive, maybe a little vulnerable, and then the Roderick that we see more in a, a present day with his kids and how awful and greedy and just all about capitalism, you know. Uh, here, I think we're seeing a combination of the two, but also a more honest version of himself. And I do think we're seeing him because he does seem to be grieving the loss of his children and the guilt, like you said, that does play into that at their death because at their deaths, because I think he is responsible in some form. Um, and then I have one last little thing. Uh, yeah. Is the flashback. There's not a lot of it again but just to talk about some of the stuff that's revealed there with that (laughs) some of the meat of that uh where it looks like madeline's trying to get her foot in the door at fortunato yeah like that's what it seems is like she's like well let me get a piece of this action let me become part of the company and she's pitching this you know the algorithms and computers and all this stuff she's 
we're going to slingshot this company into the future. We're going to make some serious profit. It seems like that's what she's doing, uh, which clearly she does do and is successful with later down the road. But I don't think, you know, as we learned, that's not really what she was doing. Is It was all gathering information on what can I pull out of Griswold? What kind of man is he? What are we dealing with? But then she manages to get a couple of little useful tidbits and secrets out of him in that conversation. And I think that's really what she was trying to do. Uh, of course, she's just met with a lot of disgusting sexism from him. Oh my uh, gosh, he's gross. Man, just yeah. terrible. But then, you know, following up with these hurtful words about their mother and, you know, the way that he's talking to her, I couldn't help to feel like he was just digging his grave one shovel full at a time as he's ta- every word he says. I'm like, man, you don't know what you're messing with. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't thinking shovel, but yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. you don't more of a trowel. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, but yeah, and then we see after that, she was learning that because the Usher twins with Annabelle there in the room too are are meeting with with August Dupin, uh, and they've learned that valuable information. This new campus is being built, and so they're going to have to move all of these. Still physical copies of things because he's not yet willing to move into the computer age. So there's hard physical copies that they can get lost in the move, as August says. You know, as they're moving from one building to the other, (laughs) maybe some things come up missing, which is interesting that that sounds highly illegal to me. Like maybe Dupin's been willing to play in the dirt a little bit longer than we think he has uh, (laughs) for quite some time. Yeah. it's as, interesting to see how that he was a part of that and, and what that right. scene was all about. Yeah, because maybe this ties into the New Year's thing a little bit, that like, well, we know Roderick and Madeline were up to something that night, and part of it is they're the ones that are being put up to task to go in and steal those records in the basement of Fortunato. Um, I think I see where this is going. I won't say much more, but I think I see. <laughs> I, I, I'm hearing what you're laying down. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, but I, I'm like, ugh, we're just getting all of these things thrown in hints and mm-hmm. things are being implied. And I feel like I know where you're going with that. And, and I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it certainly shows. Yeah. Like you said, oh, it looks like he's not so above, you know, rolling around in the mud, you know, there with Roderick, like they were talking about in, in the scene uh, in the old house. But yeah, a little bit back in the day that he's willing to use roderick and madeline to kind of you know like well we're gonna forget about your little part that you were unaware of about the forgery on the you know of his signature and such but you know i'm not above using you to try and you know get some more information because he's got something to prove right like he's got a boss that hates him you know he's he's trying to make a name for himself and get you know if he if he can do something with this investigation then that puts him ahead too so he's 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 a little complicit in some of that too Right. Very yeah, interesting. So yeah, that scene was gross with <laughs> Griswold and Madeline. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, I think, I finally run out of notes on this episode. <laughs> I had a lot. It's a big one. There was a lot. A, little small things, you know, giving us a little bit of insight into what could be happening next and uh and for the other siblings and uh some more story but yeah small things um in talking about madeline and what she had said to verna 
about not letting men have any power over her and her wanting to live forever. And I made a comment last week. I made a note about this because something I said last week and it really bothered me after I said it. So I made a note, uh, you know, that this is just me. No one wrote anything about what I said, but it bothered me that I said it because I said something about Maddie not having been married or having any children. Cause I mm-hmm. mentioned something about like, well, Roderick has went and had all of these children and there's something behind that. There was like, he had this, I think, loving relationship with Annabelle Lee and he had two children from that marriage but then he had all of these like cold it seems anyway being implied anyway cold one night stands with Mm -hmm. these other women and had uh, illegitimate children and such and then he seems to have this strange kind of marriage with Juno that I'm not quite sure about what's going on there but then Madeline you know has not been married or have any children I made a comment about that and I've I've I was like that that was wrong of me because it's a perfectly valid choice <laughs> to yeah. not to not want to have or um to to want children or to be married or have a partner and I don't know if if her if her outcome in life where she is today and not having any children or have or not having a partner or any anyone in her life in that way or at least that we know of anyway you know if we see a lot about Roderick but we don't get as much with Maddie. So I don't know. Maybe there's parts of her that we haven't seen in her personal life. I don't know. But maybe it was a choice for herself and that's okay. So I don't know if it yeah. had anything to do with this deal or whatever that happened with Verna or if that was just like, yeah, no. Uh, I Because she told Griswold, he's like, well, how do you like your morning coffee? And she's like, in solitude. And I just slow clap. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much, Madeline. It's <laughs> 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 a great response. Oh my God, I loved it so much. I mean, I I think there are some really great parts of her as a young young person. She's so ahead of her time mm-hmm. as as far as feminism and such, and wanting to be a very strong or she is a very strong, powerful woman, but definitely ahead of her time. Anyway, um, so I didn't like that I said that because it's definitely valid. I just want to say it's. No one needs me to tell them that or anything like that. But I was just like, I don't feel okay with what I said. And it's okay that Madeline, if she's made that choice and whatever. Um, So I didn't want that to come across as like, like judgmental or anything, because, you know, it's not odd to make that life choice is perfectly valid. And in fact, good for a lot of people. So wanted to say that about Madeline and some things that she had said in this episode. Um, so I don't know if maybe, um, you know, that that played a part with a little bit more insight that we got into this episode, but just wanted yeah. to kind of mention that in one of my notes. Uh, one note that I also made, I don't know if it's just me, but in the scenes with uh, Roderick and Augie in this old house, I can't stop looking at that freaking basement door behind Dupin. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm what still the hell? It just sits there, open, ominous, mm-hmm. dark. And Flanagan has trained me since Hill House to look for hidden ghosts or noises. Oh, See, I was distracted behind Roderick because that, like, the little like white, uh, like wi- uh, window, like the little um, can't think of the word for curtains. The curtains on the window would kind of blow in the wind a little bit behind that lamp. Just and I was just, too? And was it, it just would constantly me? catch my eye. I'd be like, what is that? Oh, it's still the curtains. What is that? Oh, it's still the curtains again. <laughs> so it was almost like the, in this, uh, in this episode, do you hear that? Do you hear, yeah. what, do you hear that noise? You saw that too? Cause I was yeah. like, am I just, cause I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've got my glasses on and I'm seeing that clearly. 
I thought it was just me. I was like, no, you're just seeing things. But okay, mm-hmm. I can't stop looking at that freaking basement door, the way that it just stays open and it's right. dark. And we'll hear noises that come from that direction. Ugh. It's just Madeline. What does that mean? (laughs) I can't freaking stop. It's so distracting. All I can look at instead of looking at Dupin, I'm looking at that freaking basement door. Like, (laughs) it's just creepy as shit. The way that it's just Uh open like that, it bothers me. Um, Let's see. Other notes. Oh, I wanted to just mention, because we've talked a lot about Verna's when she's talking with each of the siblings before before they die she kind of gives them an opportunity and i th- i think that verna kind of did that a little bit in a previous episode but i think she did it again here too but i don't and maybe she didn't because i think never mind maybe i'm going back on that maybe she already did it in the previous episode when I she was signing so. the papers isn't it that but it seemed like she was saying something else to her too because it seemed like she gave her an opportunity to at least come clean about what she did and face what she did uh, when she was in her office. And she said, what's more important to you, saving lives or being famous? And it really echoed what she said to Madeline in the flashback to New Year's Eve. What would you rather be famous or rich? And without hesitation, Madeline said rich. Uh, And Vic never really gave a response to that, but it, it seemed like we know what was more important to her. Uh, and again, Carla Gugino kind of doing that slipping between characters. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the uh, opportunity mean- that she gave Vic to, to change her mind came last episode where, yeah, it was very Maybe much it did, like, she was signing where the she papers. Was, yeah. Talking about like, mm-hmm. you know, here's my concerns. Are you sure this is a good idea? And she's like, yeah. And I think that was her moment there. And it felt like even, and maybe it felt like also like she had already done what she done, and by the time we see her in this episode, like she'd already um, killed Allie, but she still had an opportunity to like, I guess, well, maybe she didn't have the opportunity, but maybe if she'd been able to face what she did, maybe she was trying to bring her, because she kept talking about Dr. Ruiz. I'd really love to talk to Dr. Ruiz. And it mm-hmm. kind of kept playing with Vic as she kept hearing Allie's name, you know, kind yeah. of like making her even spin even more. Uh, but she was just like, you know, it was like she was almost kind of trying to make her at least face, like, you need to like realize or understand what you did like Vic just Mm -hmm. couldn't get there and it's almost like she was trying to force her into that because then she was like slipping in and out of you know is this more important to you but then she's like okay great just you know tell her tell her to call me and if she says it's a go then I'm all good so it was just interesting uh, that interaction yeah Um, you called out total eclipse of the heart (laughs) but the song that Victorine was playing when Roderick came over uh, that was drowning out the noise of the, the yeah. heart pumping was Hard on the Heart uh, by Kingsborough. <laughs> so, <it's> great. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, very tongue in cheek, but I love it. Uh, yeah, some great bookended songs mm-hmm. for the, uh, the episode. A lot of bookends in this episode, real and metaphorical. Uh, yeah. I mean, the when Allie is laying there on the floor, wasn't that just like, oh, my God, this is yeah. horrible. I mean, her like weird gurgling noises mm-hmm. 
as she's like twitching and bleeding out was like horrifying. I mean, there were so many things that were hard and disturbing to watch and kudos to that actress. I don't unfortunately know her name, but she played that really well, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe too well. That was disturbing. And it was very weird and in a almost beautiful way, the way that she was bleeding out in the back of her head where she'd gotten hit, but her hair was flowing in the blood was mm-hmm. kind of beautifully grotesque Yeah. Um, at the same time. One other quote that I, I pulled from this episode that I thought was interesting was from Annabelle when she says, don't have to be smart to be dangerous. I mean, I'm not scared of rattlesnakes because they're smart. Yeah. But that was <laughs> a good quote. Uh, I'm interested to see how... The rest of that story goes with those flashbacks. Mm-hmm. I want to know what happens to, between, or either happens to Annabelle, what happened between her and Roderick, um, you know, and what happens with Griswold and Roderick and Maddie, what happened at New Year's. Because that brick wall that he kept staring at mm-hmm. looked very interesting, is all I'll say. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be watching episode six after this. Uh, I think that's all the notes that I've got. I think I'm, I finished that out. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. good place to wrap. What do you think? <laughs> I think so. Like I, I mentioned my like prediction on the death of Freddie, but I'm going to just keep that in my head. I think, but I'm going to circle okay. back around in case somebody has been listening to this is going, he mentioned that. Why isn't he going to mention it again? So I will mention it again, but okay. I think I've made the decision to like hold on to it. And then just when we get to that, in, okay. a further epi- in, a, in a future episode, I'll just honor system. I'll have to tell you if I, if I nailed it or not, but I'm going to keep well, it for now. If our listeners were paying attention, you know, when you, when you called out those newspaper clippings, um, we'll know. It's recorded, yeah. Paik. We have that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but like I have like kind of like a image in my head of like, well, what would what would he do that would lead to the situation that's in that article? And I, I have an idea of why he winds up in the situation that it says he was in. And oh. I, I, yeah. Oh, I, I don't like have any like, of that. Yeah, okay. I've got like a little story of like, well, how do we get from A to B? And I think based on what we learned about him in this episode, I think I see how it's going to go. But we'll see. We'll see. Oh, I can't wait. Well, you're probably right because you're good at um, <laughs> analyzing that stuff and predicting so but we'll see i can't i can't wait i don't know i'm really excited to, to get to the i just i i've got to get some answers this is it's it's making me crazy to not know <laughs> so all right well i think that's a good place to wrap it let's go ahead and jump into our listener feedback we got some great feedback this week do you want to right. take the first one sure go ahead and take this one from Lindsay schlick it says well geez that was a crazy episode so why do we think Froderick is so desperate to get Maury home? And am I wrong, or did Maury answer no with her blinks when she asked if she wanted to go? When he asked if she wanted to go home, does she know something's up? And you were right, Rima. No informant. What would be more? What would be an even more interesting twist is we find out later that there actually was an informant. Indeed. Yeah. This scene between Rufus and Madeline was hard to watch. I'm going to enjoy watching his demise. I hope he is stuffed in a wall. <laughs> 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 uh, 
That's great. I well, agree. Just <laughs> alone for what he said right. with Madeline is enough, in my opinion, for him to be yeah. stuffed into a wall, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She goes on to say, well, Arthur is probably not long for this world since they've sent him after Verna. Speaking of Verna, has it been mentioned yet that Verna is an anagram for Raven? Yeah, I think you uh, brought that up in the first episode, didn't you, Rima? Mm -hmm. I didn't think, I don't think I even caught that then. That was really cool. She says, I'm sure it has, I'm forgetting, but my slow ass only just realized. (laughs) (laughs) This actress who plays Tammy, I don't know which character is worse, this one or her character on Midnight Mass. She is so good at being so terrible. Yes, Samantha Sloyan. Uh, yeah, perfection. Goes on with that final scene with Vic and her partner was fucking nuts. What was Vic talking about? How did she know Roderick didn't jump? Why did she wish he had? Like, why did it mean she had to kill herself? I'm so confused. Thank you for your kind words last week on the pod. This still isn't my favorite show, but I'm determined to finish just because of you guys. I've missed the podcast and you guys so much. Ah, thanks. <sighs> thanks Lindsay. so kind of you uh next one is from don elizabeth she says i think of all the actors in this show are doing such a great job okay we keep seeing verna pop in different time periods looking the same except for when she wants to look different for example when appearing as victorine's patient uh, and carla gugino is so terrific at portraying everything she is doing the various characters the animals just wow Was there any significance to the kiss that she and Madeline exchanged on New Year's in 1980? I think that's how they sealed the deal between them. She is tying herself to the ushers in mysterious ways. During the scene in the church for the funerals, what did Roderick see up in the balcony? Looked like a demon to me, but I'm not sure. All of the ushers are showing their holier-than-thou attitudes to people beneath them. Frederick with the doctor, Victorine with her partner, Tammy with her husband. I think this is because of Augie saying there was an informant. The stress of not knowing who it might be is getting to all of them. Joke is on them. Now, he and the ushers go way back as well. I'm curious to see more of that relationship. The scene that showed Roderick talking to the brick wall, that being in an episode titled The Telltale Heart, is revealing. I think it is Madeline who is in there, but then again, we don't know what has happened to his first wife. Or Rufus. Al's last breath death scene was really gruesome to me. I had to look away. Lastly, when Roderick was at Vic's house at the end, she said something about how he didn't jump out of the building. How did she know that? I watched this one twice and wonder if I missed something. I'm sure you can let me know. Uh, maybe. Hopefully we, we had thoughts it, on that. So yeah, hopefully this yeah. help her. <laughs> yeah, we had thoughts. I don't know that I'm right, but I feel pretty good about maybe. what we said. So hope, hope that helps. Yeah. Alright, and then this one comes from Maureen Favo says, sorry, short on time, so quick takes. Finally, back to Verna's Barb, we're still missing some answers. What do you think of the terms of deal? Obviously the kids' lives. How great is that how many ways to refer to bodyguards? <laughs> Ray-Bans. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> the tense conversations in this episode, all well done and gut punches. How did Arthur Pym not know what Vic was up to, especially after Camille's death? Which way was Roderick's children, uh, uh, with, way, with the way that Roderick's children uh, turn up, I'm wondering if we will see the death of an heir he wasn't aware of. Uh, not a black cat in the animal shelter photo. So much of Poe is about self-destruction, and this episode was full of ushers destroying themselves. Greenwood is amazing, and it's a great telling of the telltale heart. I agree. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
All right. We got an email this week from our good friend and Paik's other co-host, Daphne. She writes in and says, Hi, Rima and Paik. As soon as I saw the name of this episode, I had a feeling about who the next death would be. The Telltale Heart is one of Poe's most well-known stories, and the tie-in modernization was brilliant. Though at one crucial point, I thought we might get a swerve. Augie felt his only choice was to stoop to Roderick's level and invent an informant. I'm sure that was a struggle for him, especially having guilt that he was responsible for the deaths of the Usher's children. I'm glad that Roderick set him straight, though. The ghost seemed to influence Roderick to be honest at times. The Usher bloodline is ceasing. I wonder, why did Madeline not marry and have kids? Madeline pushing back against Griswold's chauvinism was great. Women have come so far since then, but we still have so far to go. It's hard to watch him throwing all of those things in her face, but I'm sure it gave her the ammunition and fire to fight back and take him down. And she can also see how and why her mother went through everything and was destroyed at the end. I don't think it's a good thing to bring Maury home. <laughs> Lenore is the only good usher. <laughs> <laughs> Roderick contemplates suicide. Is this how the deaths can stop? Or is he thinking if he dies, the deaths stop and he doesn't have to deal with this illness? Why was he talking to a brick wall? So much in this episode, and we didn't get any Carla Gugino except for a photograph, although I do think she has possessed Victorine at her last moments. Daphne. I think she did, too. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. That was a really, really great thoughts. Thank you, Daphne, as always. We also have a voicemail this week from our friend Steve Brown. Let's see what he has to say. Hello, strange indeed. This is Steve, and this is uh, for Fall of House of Usher, Episode 5, The Telltale Heart. Oh, and we're back to the New Year's Eve party, and I don't remember what year it was. Madeline and Roderick Twins. I forget. Oh, Verna and Madeline. Him coaching up uh, Perry's, uh, Leo's boyfriend, live-in, whatever. Now we meet the mothers. Dad-hole. Henry Thomas just keeps repeating it. Dad-hole. Conversation between Vic and the, her doctor uh, partner with Bonnie Tyler playing in the background is great. But I had a question. Does the doctor not know that Vic has been falsifying the data? Oh, so now who's she going to get to do the surgery now that her partner has left? Just like in the Poe story, The Telltale Heart, one of the few Poe short stories that I have read, she's hearing the heart beating, the chirping uh, in the walls or somewhere. So there never was an informant. It was just a bluff. Oh, what is this? Now he's seeing a vision of blood coming out of Dupin? Just accused. He said that Dupin, if he hadn't have bluffed, they would be alive today. Children. And now what is this vision he's seeing? Oh, it's Victoria. Victorine, I mean. And he's seen each of them, how they died. So now Roderick's walking it back and saying that they didn't die because of the lie. Madeline was way ahead of her time knowing that computers were going to get smaller. Yeah, underestimating people never is good. Got the picture from Leo's phone, so now they know for sure that it was Verna. Oh, Madeline. You want her eyes. This is creepy. This, uh, I don't remember the woman's name, the patient's name, but her switching back and forth between Verna and this, uh, this woman is just creepy. But great acting by Carla Gugino. <laughs> you haven't slept in a horror movie like time. <laughs> I love this conversation between Bill and Tammy. Oh, even Tammy is seeing things now. I can't wait to see what is going to be her death episode. Oh, who's behind the wall? I think we don't know yet, right? Oh, she's still hearing the mechanical chirp, and she was trying to get the music to drown it out. She's got to be imagining this, right? Both her dad, and now she sees her partner, and, and her dad is hearing the 
Oh, she hit her in the back of the head when she threw that thing. Oh, she cut her up and put her in the bedroom. Oh, she put one of the devices in her chest and ew. Okay, I didn't see that coming. She just stabbed herself in the heart and that's the end. Oh, and this one was directed by Mike Flanagan. Wow. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> yep, great as always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it's like you know with if the title of the episode what that is like you're like yeah you probably have a feeling what some of that's going to be about but still he can deliver that twist. Did not see that coming. So good. Thank you everyone so much for your feedback. I really love um, y'all continuing to write in. Leave your Facebook feedback uh, or emails or voicemails. Keep them coming. We still have yeah. three more episodes to go. Next up for us, we're going to be covering episode six of The Fall of the House of Usher, titled Goldbug. Yeah. Which, again, knowing kind of things, I, I have a feeling I know where we're going with that. I've, I think I can talk about that. I mean, we know there's, there's two kids left. Uh, so or at least whose story was, it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because Goldbug is the, the name of the company or a brand that Tammy is running. So I feel like it's, it's the Tammy episode. Also, um, I, I looked into it a little bit. It's, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe story, uh, The Goldbug, which is one that I am not familiar with. And I have not looked into, have not read, because I feel like I'm just going to go in blind on this. I'm sure I might have a little synopsis or something maybe for next week. Again, I can find another one of those that I like, but uh, I look forward. But it's to one it. that I'm not familiar with, so I don't know where it's going to go, and I'm excited to see what happens. I don't have a clue. I feel like the title's obvious, um, mm. at least if, as far as which sibling it's going to focus on. But that's yeah. pretty much all I know because I can't say that I'm familiar with uh, this particular work uh, from from Poe. So yeah, I can't wait though. Yeah. It'll be fun. So I hope you all uh, come back and listen. <laughs> Enjoy this journey with us. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So, of course, keep that feedback going, like Rima said. And you can find all those ways to contact us and leave us that feedback at podcastica.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. So Jason and Lucy have been covering the Walking Dead rewatch on the cast of us that is so much fun revisiting going way back yeah on those early episodes that we some of us probably have not watched in many a year you know um su such a great first season so fun fun to revisit that show um a lot of great offerings right now from podcastica everyone's pretty busy that's for sure yeah, um, of revisiting yeah <laughs> ben Kristen <laughs> on the revisited podcast going through ted lasso yes. which is great oh my gosh yes <laughs> I'm obsessed with that show. I can't can't ever get enough. Yeah, they're really knocking it out of the park with their rewatch. Uh, and of course, you and Daphne, um, you guys are you're are you on your official break? Yeah, we're right on now a little break for now for your so next season. We'll be back in December, so Yay. definitely come back then. But yeah, in the meantime, there's a lot of other episodes and stuff that you haven't checked out or haven't listened to yet. Definitely recommend going back and checking some stuff out. Uh, Say in this last season, one of the more recent ones, because I don't know if I plugged it on here or not, because um, it might have been during our kind of little off where we started this. But we did um, a movie called Little Evil, which was really mm -hmm. uh, interesting, kind of a, a horror comedy uh, stars Adam Scott. So uh, it's really it's really interesting. Uh, so I, I'll 
just recommend that one if you haven't checked that out and watched that movie and maybe listened to our episode. It's a good one to, to check out while we're away for a little bit. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Lots of good content that you guys have that, uh, you know, if you're anything like me and you're behind on your podcast, you know, episodes, go out there and, and get caught up. because There's a lot yeah. of great stuff. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Check out all of them. And when you're checking out these shows, whether it's right here with Strange Indeed or Run For Your Lives or Revisited, Walking Nidcast or, you know, a Cast of Us, all of those. Go give them some love if you're enjoying them, of course. Rate, review, subscribe, follow on your podcast players of choice. All of those things really help us out, not just to kind of boost our own spirits, but really uh, get us out there to other listeners that more people can find us and build this community a little bit more. Because every new listener, every new friend is always awesome. So we appreciate that. Yeah, we love getting new listeners and getting that exposure. And we'd love for you to spread that around to our friends as well. You know, go spread some love. Make someone's day. All right. For now, that is it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Pay. And Ian Davis is strange indeed.